pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome everyone. My name is David Guimarães Martins, or David Guimarães Martins, try to say that three times in a row. And I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And I'm so excited for the release of this episode from my podcast, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Now, you might ask me, why such an awesome name? Well, I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in the United States for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes, so next time you interview someone, keep that question in mind. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, how can we evolve as people, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around a table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated, and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on all the platforms that you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. I hope you have an amazing time listening to every episode. And don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just move on because life is too short. Anything long-lasting or worthwhile takes time and complete surrender. This is my guest's favorite quote. Giving Kitchen was created because of a love story, a powerful community, and the loss of a loved one. She's a co-founder and marketing communications director for Giving Kitchen in Atlanta, Georgia, a nonprofit organization that provides financial and social assistance to 4,000 food service workers since its creation in 2013. Full of energy, positive, introspective, and kind, it's an honor to have with me today Jen Heidinger Kendrick, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing well. I can hear my five-month-old baby crying in his crib a little bit. Hopefully you can't, but I'm doing really well. So two important questions that I think they're important questions. Most of my guests probably don't think so. Have you ever been to Portugal? I've never been to Portugal. Okay. I've been to Spain. That doesn't count, Jen. It's okay. <laughs> Let's not go there, Jen. <laughs> Do you know any Portuguese words? I do not. It's okay. So I mentioned in your introduction, this is a love story and sadly, the loss of a loved one. So tell me and tell all the folks uh, listening the beginning of this journey, how all this journey started. Absolutely. So I met my late husband, Ryan Heidinger, a chef. When I was 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. He was 22 and working at a catering company nearby. We were both from Indianapolis, Indiana, and that's really kind of where the beginning of our coupling started. And to progress a little bit forward, I ended up going, graduating and going to a four-year college south of Indianapolis. And right after that, you know, we stayed together the whole time. And right after that, we decided to take a bit of an adventure to get out of our home state and find a place that really suited our lifestyle and interests. Um, of course, him being in the culinary industry. And at the time, I had uh, graduated from Indiana University with a degree in broadcast production. So I really wanted to go into kind of that production side of things. Advertising and marketing was really of a high interest for me. But we decided to take a road trip around the United States, started in Chicago and went all the way around the West Coast. And we ended up landing in Corpus Christi, Texas, was one of the destinations that we were at before a hurricane hit 
where his dad and stepmom were in uh, the Gulf Coast of Florida. So it cut our trip short. He ended up driving there to help them. And I ended up flying to Atlanta where some family was uh, just to have a safe space. And interestingly enough, we never left. So that was October of 2004 when we really originally landed in Atlanta, which was a, a place that Ryan was really familiar with. He actually went to culinary school here in Atlanta back in 97, 98, moved back home afterwards. But he had always really was interested and really loved Atlanta for what it was, a bigger city. It felt still really Midwestern, but it was still, it was still a bigger city. So mm-hmm. a bit more opportunity he felt. Of course, I felt that when we ended up landing here. He said back then, so many years ago, that he felt like Atlanta defeated him when he was leaving to go back home, which I always found really profound and interesting, especially being here now mm-hmm. um, and seeing Atlanta and its growth over the past 16 years. So we ended up landing here in October of 2004 and had wanted to try Atlanta for a couple of years, two or three years, and maybe move elsewhere. And lo and behold, it ended up becoming our second home. He started off working at one of the best restaurants, fine dining restaurants here in Atlanta at Bacchanalia under the helm of really amazing business person and entrepreneur and Quattrano chef. I ended up working in advertising as a background and he slowly progressed through his culinary um, you know, dreams to work as a sous chef at one of the sister restaurants about a year and a half after that and ended up kind of finding his home, his more long-term home at a local sandwich shop, which turned its full service restaurant, uh, which is really where he spent the majority of his tenure as a chef here in Atlanta at this place called Musson Turner's. We're now kind of around the 2000 and I don't know, eight timeframe, I think, and, and forward. And that's really how we kind of landed and ended up finding our roots here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And then I know that you and him had this need almost to start almost like a supper club in your place, right? In your house. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love it. So really the impetus for starting um, a supper club in our home really fell organically. We had started to hear about these really neat kind of underground movements, culinarily speaking, in big cities like Seattle and you know San Francisco and in New York. There was nothing really quite happening here in Atlanta. And what really kind of projected us to to really start thinking about that more was Ryan was actually in a really a life-threatening car accident in late 2008 that took him out of work for a couple of months. It gave him some time and some reflection to really think about, you know, our mark on the city as a couple and him as a chef and really what we wanted to do to kind of build our own family. Mm-hmm. So we decided as of then that early January 2009 is when we would start our own supper club in that kind of underground style format. So we would send out an email to friends and family, you know, just our small group of contacts and just to see who would bite and ended up inviting strangers into our home on, you know, almost weekly basis, always on Sundays to sit around a table and speak on community and the, the changing viewpoints that were within our Atlanta, you know, industry and community. And really got to learn about the the people in this in this community. I mean, it was really shortly after that that we realized that that was going to be a really great grassroots platform for us to be able to start mm-hmm. what he had envisioned as what he wanted for the rest of his life and career, which was to own a small business of his own. And it was during that four year time frame of us having our supper club that he and I decided to kind of go into business partnership together to one day open up a restaurant that we wanted to call Staple House. Mm-hmm. So our supper club was prelude to Staple. 
How many people used to have at your place at once? Like 10 people? It was 10 max. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm still in the home. Um, with dining room is just down the hall and the same table. Um, yeah, we would do six at our dining room table is kind of an open, open atmosphere and four at our kind of open open bar that would look into the kitchen and, and watch those guests would watch Ryan cook. That's awesome. So you wanted to create and you created Staple House. And then from that, unfortunately, then Ryan passed away, right? A little bit after that. And then the Giving Kitchen, all of this then kind of like then merges to one direction. Can you just talk a little bit about that that part? Yeah. So the Supper Club was something that we, you know, tossed and toiled with for four years. You know, it was back in a down economy, one of our, our great recessions in 2008 and was clearly not the best time in the world to open up a new restaurant. But we we were determined and adamant about it. And it just so happened that it took four years to really start to build our foundation in our community to support us in that effort. He, we ended up finding a space that wanted the restaurant. Again, a really small space. We had guarantors, a bank loan, you know, all of these things finally started to come together in the summer of 2012. And it was just shortly after that, that Ryan became ill. It was December 21st of 2012. And he ended up from a week or so prior and some interesting test results with, with an ultrasound. We ended up taking an MRI on December 21st of 2012. And he was diagnosed that day with a stage four gallbladder cancer, which mm-hmm. was a terminal cancer diagnosis of six months. Yeah. And what happened after that shortly was really, truly the community's response. Our friend, our mentors, our, our family rallying behind him, rallying behind us to ensure that we had a safety net really is mm-hmm. what it was about. And his business mentors, again, our, our dear friends and mentors within the business rallied behind us and ended up forming a fundraiser that in three and a half weeks time, so from the date of his cancer diagnosis to the time that this fundraiser was put together, over 40 restaurants and bars from across the city, a live fund, a live auction kind of fundraiser was put on, a band came together. It was almost a thousand people showed up just to support us and nearly $300,000 was raised that night. Well, and that yeah. really what ignited kind of the idea and the impetus for, wow, this industry, food service workers, restaurant people do not have anything like a safety net. Yeah. That's really what sparked the idea for Giving Kitchen in that moment. One of the, I read about your story a lot and I heard a lot of interviews and coming from Portugal, unfortunately, the sense of community is something that we don't have, that we don't see as often. And I mean, here, and in your case, it's unbelievable. And I think some in the US across the board, it's a little more like the sense of community and try to help the other. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of the power of the power, basically, of a community? Yes, it's something that I speak to so frequently day to day. It is truly something that has guided me in my personal path as a widow, in my professional career, as you know, being a co-founder of the restaurant Staple House and seeing that come to fruition co-founding the nonprofit Giving Kitchen and now actually being a full-time teammate and, and mm-hmm. directors for. I often say in my touches is that the Atlanta community quite literally changed Ryan's life, but it saved mine because it was it was such a tidal wave of love and support that we saw and recognized. And this truly this community of thousands and thousands of people who just from a personal perspective of sending cards on a regular daily basis and mm-hmm. emails to coming together to support like small events just to continue to either raise money for us at that very beginning or when we decided to start a nonprofit then to immediately shift and recognize that there was such an important need out there for these restaurant workers and food service workers that it just continued uh, from there. So from a personal perspective, it is something that I appreciate so immensely because it has quite literally propelled me into where I am today as being Mm -hmm. this 
primary spokesperson for our nonprofit and being able to tell such a powerful story, especially as we go through an expansion process and just really seeing, you know, the inception of Giving Kitchen to where it is today, that nothing would have happened the way it has without the power. of Yeah. Did you have a moment when Ryan passed away that this was a dream of both of you, right? So that was, you know, you started this dream together. Is there always a part of you that be like, he's not with me, therefore I'm not going to move forward? Or because the need was so great that you thought like, there's so many people out there that needs this, so I have to keep going. Was there that moment? Absolutely there was. I I love that question because I do think it speaks so much to choice. Mm -hmm. And what I feel I was given was a tremendous responsibility from Ryan and as a positive. You know, Ryan and I, had a really special final year. I mean, we had a really amazing coupling. I was 17 and he was 22 when we first met. I'm now 38. And so we were together for a really long time, but we had a really unique choice that we made during his last 13 months that he was, he provided such a a beautiful gift for me, for his immediate family and friends and our community of resilience and understanding and under, the understanding of that this was the path that was made for him. Mm-hmm. He, he turned that into such a positive for people. And I feel, and I felt a lot, especially during, you know, maybe that first year of widowhood that there was such a great responsibility that I feel like he left and that I wanted to carry forward to mm-hmm. make sure that that legacy was proven and that it was long lasting, not just for him and our family, but a legacy for so many people, because yeah. there were so many people who were intimately involved to make sure that he was okay. That this, I really, truly feel that the idea of Giving Kitchen and being able to provide a service to such a large community is a legacy for so many people mm-hmm. in our community. So, I mean, I really had the opportunity and I was told a lot by close friends, you don't have to move forward if you want to change your path and do something completely different. You know, you don't owe anything to anybody. And my choice was that I do. I owe this to myself and I owe yeah. this to mine. And that's, that's the feeling that I have. Yeah. So overall, the mission of Giving Kitchen. Absolutely. So Giving Kitchen is a nonprofit. It is a 501c3. And we are dedicated to serving our food service community stability. We do that in two different ways by offering financial support and a network of community resources. So to any food service worker in the state of Georgia, We can pay for your basic living expenses, your rent or your mortgage, and your utility bills to keep you in your home and, and, you know, one day on your feet as you are experiencing an illness, whether that's COVID-19 related or otherwise, if it's the death of an immediate family member, a housing disaster similar to a flood or a fire or or an injury, you're on your way home from work and get in a car accident or a bike Mm -hmm. accident, whatever that might be. We are there to support those food service workers experiencing those crises. And the best way people can help giving kitchens besides the obvious part, which is donations. Mm -hmm. What else can people do? Absolutely. We always say, you know, donating to Giving Kitchen, of course, is one of the best ways that you can help a nonprofit. It allows us to do that operational work to make sure that our food service community is receiving the funds to be able to, again, pay rent, pay mortgage, pay your light bill, pay your water bill on average a grant, uh, excuse me, a financial assistance award package from Giving Kitchen is around $1,800. And that typically will help a food service worker keep their lights on, their water running, keep a roof over their head for upwards of three months. Mm-hmm. So it is something that we've seen since our inception has provided life change, a life-changing ability for these food service workers to, again, stay in their home, protect their family, heal as they need 
And what's really interesting, you know, through through our our time is that we've been able to collect a lot of strong data uh, since our inception. And one of my favorites, especially now being a new mom, is that nearly 50% of the households of the individuals that we serve and help throughout Georgia have at least one child in the household. So you can imagine we are quite literally helping these families not be evicted. And these are real life stories. With COVID-19, how badly the situation got, you know, the need for help or seek for assistance? You know, the need for assistance was exponential, actually. We had started to develop some really great tools and strategies behind how we offer our services and how automated those are or are not, Mm -hmm. depending on the need. When COVID-19 really reached Georgia officially, kind of that early March timeframe, we were seeing 20 times the amount of ask for help to our website any given day. That very first week that we really were starting to track in the beginning of March, we saw more asks for help than mm-hmm. we did the entire year of 2018. Well, I mean, yeah. And that's working with a, you know, a staff of about 13 individuals, full-time yeah. programs team, a development team, and of course, a marketing communications team led by an executive director. It was, it was pretty profound. You know, since then, what we were able to recognize pretty quickly is I think we did an excellent job of listening to our community in that time of need. We did an excellent job of maintaining our clarity and our purpose for the organization instead of opening up service. Nonprofits are consistently, you know, a, an industry based off service. And you always want to try to be as creative as you can to help as many people as you can. But you also have to understand that our programming couldn't necessarily go so far outside of what we've already developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were many, many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to us saying, we are now unemployed or underemployed. Can you help us? And the reality is if we would have said yes to the almost 500,000 food service workers throughout the state of Georgia who were now underemployed or unemployed, if we said yes to being able to help them, we physically would have failed miserably at yeah. our businesses. Yeah. So we did a really great job of, again, maintaining that clarity and purpose of what we do, which is to offer financial assistance and a network of community resources if you are impacted by an illness, an injury, the death of a family member, or have a housing disaster. And when we honed in on that and really told our story, again, with clarity and mission, that's really when we saw the most success for Giving Kitchen in the last four months. Do you think the model of Giving Kitchen is one that can be used in other metropolitan areas? And if so, do you provide assistance for startups like that? We don't necessarily kind of give the toolbook per se of how Giving Kitchen operates to to other areas. But I will say, you know, food service is far and wide. It is not just in Metro Atlanta. It's mm-hmm. obviously not just in Georgia. We're we are actively going through our strategic planning efforts right now as we go through our expansion planning. You know, at the beginning of Giving Kitchen, we we were here again seven years ago, and we served just Metro Atlanta and just full service restaurants. So over the course of seven years, we've been able to tell our story more clearly and broadly, meaning we are now able to serve all food service. So that includes anybody in a full service restaurant, anybody who works in concession stands, anyone who works at a in a food truck or a catering company, anything Mm -hmm. food service related that is now a part of our programming. And then also to be able to serve the entire state of Georgia is just something that we've actually just launched this year. So yes, do we see this uh, replicated elsewhere? Our goal is to be able to serve eventually many more regions and nationally one day. One thing that we did realize early on and something that we we do have a, a national kind of recognition with is our, again, I speak to that network of community resources. This is our second program that we call Stability Network, 
Mm-hmm. So it is a direct relationship to service providers, whether they are in the medical profession, specialists and doctors, if it's mental health providers, if it's housing or financial literacy, housing stability, we are able to collect those resources and give them to food service workers who may otherwise just not know how to find low cost living or mm-hmm. find a, a someone to help them with counseling or therapy otherwise. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest things that we can do. And what I'm really proud about is we were, we were honored last year in 2019 by the James Beard Foundation for the Humanitarian of the Year Award, my most proud professional moments of my life for sure. And what we were able to do is offer free suicide prevention training through the QPR Institute to any food service worker in America. And we as Giving Kitchen would help pay for that. That's been one of the ways that we've just been started you know, to get outside of our own metro area, outside of our, our state to be able to offer a service that could expand, you know, far beyond our mm-hmm. state. Awesome. See, that, it's one of the reasons that, that I really wanted to have you on the pod is that your story is just so much more than just, you know, Giving Kitchen has its purpose, but the, it, this broad try to help a lot of people, I just thought was amazing how the story was created because it's a beautiful story and the legacy of that story and what do you do? I just think it's remarkable. That's why I'm glad you're here. So shifting a little bit our conversation, what was your first memory of taste? Oh, that's wonderful. So my mom is uh, from Spain and I remember I was really lucky. My, my family of four, I have an older brother and mom and dad. And I remember being very privileged as a young person. We would be able to go to her home country once a year, every summer. I was a really picky eater as a young person, probably up until I was really like 14. But for some reason, the tastes and flavors of going to Spain every single summer was where I really devoured food. But otherwise, I was incredibly picky as a young person. Snails is actually one of those things that I can, to this day, the texture and flavor, that salty brininess and the smell of being in a, my mom grew up in Jaén, the Andalusia province, the southern region of Spain. And I can remember as a young person going into a bar and the air, I mean, I can feel the air, I can taste the brininess of a snail. All of that beautiful Mediterranean flavors is probably my very first memory. What's the most underrated ingredient for you? This is so good. I'm still mystified sometimes when something is under seasoned, so salt. Yeah. Yeah. Overrated ingredient. Uh, Truffle oil. Not the first person says that here. A lot of people are against truffles. The best breakfast ever, if you could choose. Oh, I have one. Um, gosh, that's great. Funny, it's, I do, breakfast is my favorite. I, if you ask me the three ingredients I would take to heaven are funny donuts, <laughs> okay. queso, queso dip, and bacon, which is an interesting combination, actually. It's really delicious altogether. But I remember having, it was when Ryan was sick, actually, my late husband, And we were really strict on our diet and our Mm -hmm. intake, but there was one, he was feeling exceptionally well one weekend and we went to a local uh, restaurant here in Atlanta. It's called Empire State South. And I remember we got kind of their big breakfast and it included perfectly from scratch baguette with a heap load of butter Mm -hmm. and the perfect like soft scramble eggs. And I can still to this moment remember we hadn't actually eaten bread in such a long time because we were really trying to keep that gluten out of our diet. Yeah. I remember he and I both took a bite of that and just were in heaven. Okay. What is the strangest combination food-wise that some people might do that you're like, I, I just can't understand? So funny. I don't know if it's so much a food combination, more so than the use of the term foodie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I'm kind of adventurous with food. I may not be as adventurous as 
per se, maybe an Andrew Zimmerman who can absolutely anything in this world, but I'm pretty adventurous and, and don't mind trying something once. Okay. So the name of our podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, which is actually two separate Portuguese quotes. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means actually that you succeed expectations in life, in your career, in your personal life. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Oh, wow. You know, I mean, I guess a little bit of both. I've made comment to, you know, some really exceptional experiences in my life. I wouldn't be where I am without, I think, my own personal choice and, and direction I received from my community and mentors. Mm-hmm. Being able to be a part of a group of people who do exceptional work and care so much about a community and industry and have a recognition like the James Beard Award last year and being on stage to be able to offer something so massive. I really am proud of the successes. I'm a very positive individual, and I tend to to look at the lens of life through a really positive lens. So maybe a mixture of both. Okay, perfect. There's other Portuguese quote when we say sell your fish. That means to talk a little bit about you in this case, you know, Giving Kitchen. So to wrap it up, you know, where people can find you, where people can find Giving Kitchen, any projects moving forward to the future, anything about that? Absolutely. You know, from a giving kitchen perspective, like I said, we're just, we're going through our strategic planning. Um, I'm really proud to say through COVID and everything that has occurred, you know, not every single business or organization has thrived or flourished. Many are struggling. We are in a really beautiful spot right now to, to serve our industry. And we're still moving forward with really big plans. We just went through a major IT assessment, which was extremely draining. Um, But just to know that our organization is still on that path forward to expand and offer the best services that we can is amazing. So I'm really proud of that. From a personal perspective, I became a mom for the first time in February. So my son, Blue, congratulations, okay, is five months old. And again, I, I feel really fortunate to have the time at home with him to see him all throughout the day and to be able to do some good work for our community. It's very nice. And folks can go to thegivingkitchen.org, right, for any information. Absolutely. So follow us on social media, givingkitchen.org. We have a support button on our page where you can donate. I know you asked that earlier, you know, really one of the greatest gifts I think Giving Kitchen can receive is for you out there to tell our story. If you Mm -hmm. know a food service worker in need, if you are a food service worker experiencing an illness, an injury, the death of a family member or a housing disaster, please ask for help from Giving Kitchen. It's very easy to do. We are here to help and support you. We also have an app. Giving Kitchen app. So please just download that on your phone. It's really easy access to hundreds of resources through our Stability Network program far outside of Georgia and of course, financial assistance should you need it. Awesome. Jen, it's a wonderful story. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I know this is busy time, so I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I so appreciate you sharing our story and our mission to your community. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a great day. As well. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review. I only accept five stars, by the way. Tell all your friends about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you have any questions, you can send an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. See you next time. Adios.